What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Come on, G, kick it. Hello, everyone out there, and welcome back to the TOT cast. And my name is Ryan Greco. It is nice to hear from all of you again. It's nice to get back on the air here and talk a little bit of basketball uh, right here on the TOT cast. Took a little bit of a hiatus there, but uh, as always, I'm happy to be back. And of course, you can always uh, hit up the show on at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. Uh, you can also see the Facebook page. You can also uh, talk to us through a bunch of different media outlets going on now and uh, plenty of going on in the Raptors basketball world. Uh, of course, the Raptors 905 bringing home a D-League championship just a few days ago. Uh, we're going to get a chance to speak with the Raptors 905 play-by-play Megan McPeak, uh, who is also covering right now this time the Toronto Raptors themselves as they are, of course, still in the playoff hunt. Just finished up and a disappointing Disappointing result against the Cleveland Cavaliers last night, uh, but this is still a team that is extremely deadly when they play at their best. Uh, so with that being said, though, uh, we're actually just going to jump right into our interview, though, with uh, Megan McPeak, uh, one of the, uh, the the top people to speak to when you want to speak Raptors 905 basketball and just get an opportunity to talk a little bit about the championship season that was uh, the performance, of course, of uh, Coach Jerry Stackhouse and what his future might hold. Uh, we also discussed a little bit about Pascal Siakam. Uh, we also uh, had a chance to talk about Bruno Caboclo and the Raptors themselves, the Toronto Raptors, the big club, and their results and how they played against the Cleveland in game one and uh of course finally we will be actually talking about some breaking news but you're gonna have to stay tuned to the end of the interview for that uh, just to get some information out there if you're a bit of a, a hardcore basketball head and uh uh hearing some big news as well coming from usa basketball that will affect the raptors 905 or at least some of their players so uh we're gonna get to that near the end of the interview but for now uh i hope that you guys enjoy the interview here with 905 play-by-play megan mcpeak and, uh, of course, uh, as promised earlier, we're being joined by the wonderfully talented uh, Megan McPeak, uh, play-by-play uh, analyst for the Raptors 905 every single game. Also, uh, you can catch her on home court on TSN. You can also catch her on Raptors Game Nights 
on uh, TSN 1050. Uh, and uh, Megan, you've been you've been pretty busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us here on the TOT Cast. No problem, Ryan. I, I appreciate it. Now that uh, 905 is done, I've got a little bit more time on my hands, uh, <laughs> but still with Raptors in the playoffs, I'm still pretty busy. But I, uh, yeah, for, for sure, I appreciate you uh, wanting to talk uh, Raptors in 905. Absolutely, of course. And uh, as I said, you know, of course, this conversation is going to be about the 905 and their championship run. But I actually just wanted to ask you one quick question before we get into that regarding the Raptors themselves, who obviously just uh, finished off uh, game one last night, uh, disappointing out. Uh, outing versus the Cleveland Cavaliers, but uh, Megan, I'll be honest. Uh, I I rewatched that game this morning, and you know, dis- despite a little, a couple of defensive lapses here and there, and missing some open shots, um, I'm really not all that scared of this Cleveland team. Now, uh, am I onto something here, or have I just been missing a lot of sleep because of the playoffs? Um, I, th- I think a little bit of both, Ryan. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> um, I, I I completely understand where you're coming from in the sense of not necessarily that scared of this Cleveland team. However, um, I mean, when you look back at last night's game, although there were some, there was definitely some positives to take out of last night's game. I'm not going to discredit the positives that that team did. They moved the ball very well. I mean, you look at them, they're one of the worst teams in the league, if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to assists uh, in-game. And the fact that they were able to get over 20 last night in, although, you know, you look at the final box score, they lose by 11 in the number side. But when you look at the way they lost, that 11-point loss feels more like it was a 30-point loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the way they lost, you're still able to get 20-plus assists out of it. There's a lot of ball movement. They still shot the ball, I believe, at almost 40% from, from long range. Um, they did well from beyond the arc. Right. Like, I, it falls down on, in my opinion, they had a lot of open looks that we normally see them hit, mm-hmm. um, and they just weren't falling last night. At the same time, though, they had too many defensive lapses in a row at the wrong time in the game when, you know, you start making a run and then Cleveland counters with their own run. Um, and then they they had some of those defensive lapses. And I think going into this series, you didn't need to play 100% completely perfect against this Cleveland team. However, that being said now, and I know it's only one game, it's only 48 minutes, I think at this point, if they want to get four wins, because, I mean, in seven games, all you need is four. You don't, it doesn't have to be one, two, three, four, you just got to get four wins. However they come, that's all they need. I think at this point, after after game one, this Cavs team is is well-oiled, and they're they're figuring it out. I think at this point, the Raptors need to be 80%, if not close to perfect, to get four Ws and win this series, which is going to be tough. Um, I think Cleveland still ends up winning this series, but I, I think this Raptors squad can give them a run. I just don't know how many times they can give them a run. That's, that's where it's still, I'm still up in the air, unfortunately. No, I, I hear you on that. It really just sounds like, at the end of the day, the Raptors have to just play almost mistake-free basketball because you can't right. afford... You can't afford it. LeBron James is is too dynamic of a player by himself. And then when you add in a guy like Kyrie Irving who can split it, and then you've got your shooters that are setting up. I mean, even their shooters were having a heck of a night last night. We saw Kyle Korver playing a little bit of defense there and even uh, being a part of some turnovers there. And I'm going, wait, I'm I'm sorry. Is that is that what they brought him on for? <laughs> so, right, you know, every, exactly. every and, and yeah. They're scary. Yeah, they can be, absolutely. They're, when, they're, when they're well-oiled and they're playing the way that they played last night, 
on a string together on both ends of the floor, especially when you think about it coming into the postseason, everybody was talking about their defensive, uh, their defensive problems. And I mean, last night, I don't know about you, Ryan, but it didn't look like they had any defensive problems the way they defended the Raptors. No, not at all. And unfortunately, with that being said, the Raptors are going to have to, in some cases, and it's a shame, they don't necessarily have to go back to the drawing board. They just have to, you know, you just get some more of that fire in their belly. And I think that's a big reason why they were able to acquire Ibaka and Tucker at the, uh, at the deadlines. And that really seemed to be uh, the motivating factor for those guys in those wins against Milwaukee near the end of the series. So we're hoping to see those guys pick it up a little bit as well as our star players, of course. A hundred percent. And I think, to, to be honest with you, I think uh, P.J. Tucker needs to be inserted into the starting lineup in place of Damari Carroll. And I get I that agree. he gives up a little bit of height um, and, and, and a little bit of size to LeBron James. However, he brings that grit, that grind, and that toughness that I think is necessary to go up against this Cavaliers team. And unfortunately, DeMar Carroll just doesn't bring it. No matter what, you know exactly what you're going to get on both ends of the floor from P.J. Tucker. I'm not expecting him to give us 13 points to 20 points every single game. We got 13 out of him. Yes. Um, mind you, you know, some people are going to look at him. He took 11 shots. Why is he taking 11 shots? Why is P.J. Tucker your offensive, your focus on offense? Guess what? He was the only person in that second half that was wanting to get anything going offensively or try to get anything going offensively. But I think he needs to be inserted into the starting lineup um, and, and really bring that grit and that grind and that toughness, as I mentioned, into this this series and this game for the Raptors because when, we've seen it when him when he gets things going and he's you know he's he's getting under the skin of the opposing team then Ibaka tends to do it as well yep. and then Demar jumps on board and then Kyle jumps on board and then the rest of the team jumps on board I think the grit and the grind and the toughness it starts with PJ Tucker and you got to get that from the jump against this Cavs team absolutely and and you know my final thought on this regarding the Raptors would be you know the Cavaliers anyone who's watched Cleveland play throughout the season especially during the last couple of postseasons with LeBron there is that he makes a point, especially with him and Kyrie, to take the ball out of the hands of their best players and force the the other guys to, to beat them, basically. And any time that yep. uh, the Raptors bench guys have stepped up, including in the playoff series last year, they got the wins. So, I mean... Exactly. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And they did it last night. They they blitzed and they trapped Kyle and DeMar from tip-off. And mm-hmm. it, 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 you could tell it bothered them. It, it bothered the whole squad. So it'll be interesting game two. Absolutely. Now, moving from a team that's uh, uh, going up against the champs, now we get to talk about the actual champs, the D-League champs, the Raptors 905. And uh, my goodness, Megan, what what a difference. I wouldn't even say what a difference a year makes because this organization came in, they hit the ground running. This has been a an organization that's been doing fairly successful in their first two seasons. But then I don't think anyone was expecting them to have the record they had this year. And, uh, I mean, you were there for, for just about every single game. So talk to me a little bit of what this experience was uh, throughout this entire season. Um, it was it was definitely up and down at the beginning, Ryan. I mean, they didn't get off to uh, to the greatest start um, that, I mean, that any team would hope for, whether it's minor league or, or big league, NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever it, it may be. Um, you, you know, you don't get off to the greatest start and, and you start to wonder, like, is, is this going to be the way the season goes? And that was sort of a, a question that was up in the air after a, a tough start. And then, you know, something, something clicked. Um, and, and away they went. They, they started stringing together, you know, four, four consecutive wins and then, and then six and then seven. 
And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, their longest win streak was uh, was 12 games. Um, and I, be- I want to say that was at the, right at the end of the season, and that was actually snapped um, in game one of the, the championship series by, by the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Um, they finally snapped that, that winning streak for the 905. But, I mean, record aside, um, second-best record in, in D-League history, um, you, you take that aside, I think the only person in, in the entire organization or in the entire league that would tell you that the goal at the beginning of the season and the way the season went, they wouldn't change it for the world, I think it, it's Stackhouse. Um, I think mm-hmm. the ups and the downs, the rough start, I think he always believed in his mind that they could win a championship no matter what. Um, and, you know, they, they figure things out. It starts to go and you know, they looked like a well-oiled machine themselves. And many coaches through the D-League and even, you know, people that watch the D-League and work in the NBA um, that have been able to watch watch that squad play, they, all, they, they make it look easy. They make it look very, very easy. And they needed the right personnel. They needed the right, the right timing for everything to go the way it went. And, and you know, I was talking to GM Dan Holzman after the, the championship game. And to this day, he still says he, whenever he has a chance to talk to uh, former head coach Jesse Mermis, who's now an assistant with the, the Lakers and, and Luke Walton, he says he apologizes to him every single time he can just for, for the, the roster that he gave, him, he gave him in year one. And, he, you know, he says it with a laugh and a chuckle and a smile. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, if you gave this roster to any coach, I don't know if the same outcome happens. Um, I, I think it needed the p- correct personnel with the right coaching staff and the right head coach for this season to happen the way it did. And, and they got they, they got all the pieces that were necessary. And, um, you know, it ends, the goal was set at the beginning of the season to be champions, and, and they accomplished their goal. And, and it, was, it was a really great season and, and, and a great season to be part of. Um, and to do it in just your second year of existence in the league is, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and it's. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Coach Stackhouse, of course, being you know co- winning uh, uh, Coach of the Year this league as well. On top of that, um, mm-hmm. how how in your opinion, how calming of a factor do you think it can be for some of these younger guys to be able to know that the guy standing at the end of the bench giving them direction has literally seen it all and has a certain pedigree and opinion that holds a considerably, and we'll just call it what it is, just a considerably heavier weight than, you know, a lot of other coaches in this league. Uh, how, how much of a factor do you think that may have played in for these guys buying into the system that Coach Stackhouse set up? Uh, I think it played a huge, a huge, huge part. Um, not only just the fact that it's Coach Stackhouse, but it's, you know, you run through the assistant coaches. you got David Gale and Nate Mitchell who were on the coaching staff last year. Um, then you add in, uh, you know, the, the, the storied success of uh, the NCAA coach and Donnie Tyndale. Um, and then you add in, you know, the other assistant coach in, in Nikki Gross and what she brings to the table um, as well, too. I think it wasn't just the, the, the respect that's garnered for Coach Stackhouse. I think it also falls down on the respect that Coach Stackhouse has for his coaching staff and vice versa. Um, the way that they're able to interact, where you know they can call, they can call each other out um, and voice their opinion, and, and they'll each listen to each other, and then they'll move forward, and, and they'll leave that, they'll leave the disagreement where it is, 
um, and move forward. And I think for a player to see that a, a head coach can um, can respect and instill uh, and vice versa for the assistants to the head coach, they can instill that in each other and still move forward and, and cooperate and, and, you know, still have the same common goal. I think it says a lot to a player to see that. Um, and then, you know, you look at Coach Stackhouse, 18 year NBA vet, um, I believe a two or three time NBA all star. He knows exactly what it takes to play at the NBA level. And he, he played with Michael Jordan, to play, too. <laughs> right. And, and, and I mean, he knows exactly what it takes to play um, at the NBA level for as long as he did. To, you know, he played through different, de- different decades and, and a couple different eras of the NBA. Mm-hmm. The old NBA versus, you know, the start of the new NBA when he retired. Um, and he knows what it takes to try and, you know, adapt your game and, and reinvent yourself to still be useful at, uh, at at your late 30s, much like we're seeing with Vince Carter as well and, and Dirk Nowinski, um, and now obviously Paul Pierce retiring after the Clippers lost. Um, he knows exactly what it takes to be in the NBA, and he also knows what it takes to get to an NBA championship and lose an NBA championship. So he knew exactly the bitter taste that it has to get to, you know, the, the top of Mount Everest and then completely fall. Mm-hmm. So when you have a guy like that at, at the at the helm of your team, guys are going to want to listen and guys are going to want to buy it. And that is in no disrespect to any other head coach in the D League that might not have had an NBA career as a player the way stacked it or might not have had an, an NBA career in any sense. Um, it's just a different mindset as a player to listen to another former player as a head coach than it is to listen to a guy who has, you know, rose through the ranks of, of the coaching world um, in a different way. It's just, it's a different dynamic. And it's, it's not saying that a former player as a head coach is better than, you know, um, for example, Matt Draze, who's the head coach of Rio Grande Valley Vipers. He interned with the Rockets for six years and, and then was named the head coach of the Vipers. The coaching styles and, and the philosophies might be similar or different, but you're just going to get a different type of respect from a player. And it's not a disrespect. It's no disrespect from, from Coach Brazé's, um experience to Coach Stackhouse and vice versa. Um, a player is just going to look at it differently. And a player can relate to a player more than to someone who might not have played. Um, so I think it's just a different dynamic. Um, that a, a former player may have with his with his current players as a head coach than a, than than someone who might not have played. Absolutely, when you consider the fact as well that you know how he uses that influence has just as big of a factor as the fact that he has the influence in the first place because that can also break a team. Right, right, and and it 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 takes a lot also for a player to you know put their pride aside because I mean you look at these guys. They all want to get to the NBA. They, yep. they want to be at that level. And as a player, to put your pride aside and, you know, players players and coaches have egos themselves and everyone wants to believe that their way is the right way and that they know they know everything uh, and, and what it takes to get there. But, you know, it takes a, a certain type of person to be able to push that aside and say, you know what, this guy's done it. This guy's been there. He knows what it takes. He probably has a, a better idea than I do. I should probably listen to him. And I think that's also why this season works so well for the 905. Mm-hmm. Coach Stackhouse, his staff, and, and, and Dan Tolman is because they got the right personnel not only on the floor, but also the right type of personalities to play together, to buy into the system, to buy into what the coaching staff wanted to do. 
and it worked. And 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 it's no different than the Golden State Warriors buying into each other and being successful. The Cavaliers buying into Coach Lou and what they want to do. You have to have the right personnel to go together with the right personalities because it can take one bad apple and it could have it could have completely derailed this entire uh, this entire championship run. Yeah, well said, well said, Megan. And uh, also, just have a few more things to cover before we let you go here. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to um, I wanted to also touch uh, briefly on uh, a couple of the players that I mean the two biggest factors really for this this finals run. Uh, Pascal Siakam, because it's interesting, you just brought up the idea of someone possibly, uh, all it takes is one bad apple, and of course, we're not talking about Siakam there, but what I mean is that, you know, Pascal was a guy who's been kind of bouncing up and down between the rosters throughout the entire season, and uh, it very easily could have, you know, a a man of lesser character could have taken that the wrong way, but it seems like Pascal Siakam, especially near the end there, really stepped up his game for these guys and was a big factor why uh, this team won a championship. Uh, With that being said, is this a guy that you see now next year maybe getting a little bit more time up with the Raptors, or do you think that uh, he still is at a point in his career where he could use a little bit more development with the 905, or is he going to be moving on to something else? Um, I think it might be a little bit of both, Ryan. Um, I mean, uh, every player who, like, whether it's, whether it's Pascal, Fred, Bruno, DeLon, Norm, Jakob, um, any, any one of those players all obviously would want to be with the big club 24-7. But at the same time, again, much like Dan Tolzman and, and what he was able to do with personnel, Masai Ujiri's done the same with the way they drafted Bobby Webster and Jessica Waltman as well, too. Um, the personalities they've, they've drafted, uh, realize when they come in you are coming into a team that is already established your role is already established by maybe one or two other players great example is Fred Van Vliet mm-hmm. you're coming into a team that you've got Kyle Lowry and Corey Joseph as you're starting in backup point guard so then you're also playing behind DeLon Wright who's coming off of shoulder surgery and still working his way back into into the fold and into the the mix now you add DeLon right once he's back from, from injury and is officially cleared to play, you're now the fourth point guard. Um, that, that can be hard for young players, especially young players who were stars and, and were the go-to guy in their, uh, in their college careers. And I think that's why we've seen, um, with the exception of Pascal, who is the only non-four-year player in the last couple of years that Masai has drafted, Norm, DeLon, Fred, um, and Jakob, are all four-year players in college. That's mm-hmm. four years of more maturity, four years of more experience, four years of, of, of playing in a system and preparing yourself as a young man to get to the NBA level. Um, and I think Pascal and, and Fred both handled it correctly. Uh, they accepted their role both with the 905 and with the Raptors, um, especially too for Pascal. It could have been a lot harder and it could have been a lot, been a lot more frustrating. You start, what, almost 40 games, um, in your rookie career with an NBA team that just came out of the Eastern Conference uh, Finals, losing to the eventual champions, and now you're you're pushed you're you're bumped back down to um, the development team uh, to develop yourself and, and help them out on a championship run. It says a lot about how he handled it. It says a lot about how Fred handled it, and and even Bruno Caboclo as well too. It says a lot about these these guys and their personalities and their maturity that they're willing to accept their role and, and, and go with it because at the end of the day, they still have to develop. They're not NBA perfect and they're not 100% NBA ready. So I think we might see a little bit more back and forth 
um, with the young guys next season. It also all depends on the, the off season and free agency for the Toronto Raptors and, and any moves Masai and, and company might do. Um, that may play a part in how big their role is with the 905 or how small their role is with the 905 and with the big club and vice versa. So I think a lot of it uh, will, will be held on the offseason for the Toronto Raptors and what Masai does. Yeah, absolutely. Well said with that. And uh, just one other question about the players specifically. I'm, you brought him up as well uh, when you were explaining there. Uh, is uh, how long, we, that, we we drafted Bruno Caboclo about, what was it? It was about three years ago. And uh, that was. Uh, yes, the 2017 18 season will be his fourth year. So, according to, I believe, his friends, <laughs> <Here Phillip, comes. laughs> he, should be, uh, he should be right on par with being two years away from being two years away. Because two plus two, if I'm not mistaken, is four. I I think you might be right on that one. <laughs> he definitely looked like he was he was ready to go with with that finals performance, thirty one points, and also really at one point with the Vipers literally daring him to shoot threes, and he was just knocking them down, and even got to see right. him start to stare down the bench a little bit, going to the coaches like, "Are you serious? You're really going to give me these shots right now?" <laughs> so love to right. see that I mean, energy. I, it, it, it's great. I think I think Bruno um, is, is still a year or two away from really coming into his own. I wish that performance was actually a game two performance, so we could see it in a game three and see what if he can follow it up with another stellar performance. Not necessarily thirty plus points again, but just you know the impact he had on both ends of the floor. He was you know he was great offensively. The Vipers were daring him to shoot as they did in game one and two. Um, wasn't as effective in the first two games as he was in game three, and they continued to let him shoot. And I, I talked with Coach Coach Braze at halftime and, and asked him, you know, like, what do you have to do? What, plain and simply, you've got, you've got Fred coming at you guys, Pat Cow's coming at you guys, and Bruno's coming at you guys. You've got a three-headed monster of NBA players coming at you guys. What are you going to do? And, and he actually left Fred and, and Pascal aside and said, I don't know what's going on with our defense, but for whatever reason, no one seems to know where Bruno is on the floor. We have to hmm. find Bruno. We've got to have a hand up, and we've got to we, we've got to stop him from having all these open outside jump shots, and 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 force him to either make a play or do something else. But I I, I can't have my guys giving him open shots, and it's very it hasn't been where you go through. You know we've gone through a, a couple seasons now with Bruno with the 905, and typically you don't hear a head coach on an opposing team say we've got to worry about Bruno. So for a coach in a championship game to say that Bruno is the X factor, you know, inside I was kind of smiling. And then Bruno went out in the second half and continued the way he was playing in the first half. He didn't drop off and, you know, go behind the scenes. He continued to be aggressive and continued to come alive and come on and forcing the defense to, to respect him. And I think this offseason, uh, going into the 17-18 season, obviously we know they picked up his his. Uh, his fourth year option on his rookie contract this off season, I think is one of the most, if not the most important off season for Bruno's career. Uh, if he, if, if that game was Bruno turning the corner, I think he can put himself in a position where, you know, he might be able to have an impact in some sort uh, on whether it's the Raptors or another NBA team. I think this is the most important off season for Bruno's career because I think he's realizing that, hey, I'm what, 6'9", six, six, and I've got myself almost a 7-foot wingspan. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? You want to try and shoot over me? I'll respect your drive, but I can still probably block the shot. I think if Bruno can, can come to terms and really realize, and I think he is really realizing, 
defense is where he's going to have an impact in the NBA, that kid can be, he can be one heck of a player, especially on the defensive end, maybe even put on some, put on some weight and some bulk. That kid could be good. I, I think he could be scary as a defender in the NBA. We 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 saw flashes of it in that in that final game specifically when uh, when I was there to watch it. Uh, he was he was actually he was guys were trying to pull up jump shots over him and he would just knock him back. It was it was actually quite yeah. a sight to see. And when you're doing that against guys, and we're not talking about just playing in rec, we're not talking about college. We're talking about it just a level below the NBA. And a lot of these guys they have the talent to get up there to the NBA. It's really just kind of what's between the ears and certain other things. But you know to see right. him playing that kind of defensive level, you know. It's it, one thing I'll, I'll take away from that, from what I saw that I really ab- appreciated about him was it was time to play. It was game time. It was championship time. And man, did he yep. rise to the occasion. 100%. And, and I mean, you, you look at any player at any level, you know, you have a rough, a rough start to your career and you know, you're, you're in a game three, a winner take all. What a time to decide that you're going to have the game of your friggin' career, right? <laughs> of course. What what a time to have the game of your career, and and you know it's it's like I said, it's going to be the the off season is going to be going to be probably the most important off season that he'll have in his career in his young career. Um, but he's got a great team of coaches and and strength and conditioning coaches that want to help him get better. Um, I know you know assistant coach David Gale has worked with him since day one. And he's he's been nothing but smiles since that since that final buzzer went <laughs> in the way that Bruno performed. So uh, I imagine they're going to have a really good offseason. Absolutely. Now, just uh, one last question. Uh, once again, really thank you for uh, taking the time out today. Um, now, this actually just broke literally minutes before we started recording. And uh, I just wanted to get your uh, input on it because you're honestly you're one of, you're one of the most well informed people in the D League that I can think of, and uh, especially specifically considering the Raptors 905 and considering the fact that they're defending champs. Uh, USA Basketball just came out, according to Bleach Report, saying that for the 2019 FIBA World Cup, they're going to only be bringing development league players. So, with that being said, uh, just very quickly, who do you think? that are, of course, originally from the United States that were on this Raptors 905 roster might have a shot at cracking that roster for FIBAs? Um, well, I, I think, you know, you look at this 905 roster, everybody has had a really good impact. Um, it was a very multicultural roster as well, too. You had a little, you know, you got your U.S. flavor, you got a little Canadian flavor. Portugal, too. They had a lot of, <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of inter, international flavor on the... Uh, on the roster, but I think, um, you know, a CJ Leslie could possibly crack the, uh, the team USA roster. Uh, maybe even an, an Antoine Wiggins who, um, had himself a, a good finish to the, to the regular season and, and in the playoffs. Um, those are probably two names that from the 905 roster, I wouldn't be shocked if they, uh, one got an invitation, uh, to, to camp and tryouts and, and two ended up making the roster or were, you know, a couple of the final cuts. Um, I mean, even, even even maybe like a John Jordan, just his athleticism. Oh, my goodness. Um, that boy can does, jump. What he does defensively. Um, he's, a, he's an irritant to opposing point guards defensively because he gets up in your shorts and uh, doesn't allow you to have much of a, a personal bubble or a personal space. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, – if one, two, or more of the uh, 905 guys end up on that uh, Team USA roster, it'll just be it'll be interesting too when you look at just uh, the timing 
um, with uh, you know a couple of the, the the qualifying periods being between November and, and February of 2017 to 19, because that's that's right at the beginning um, and nearing the uh, just after the midway point of the uh, D League season. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how players figure this out and how teams and, and coaches figure this out and, and agents as well too. Uh, Megan McPeak, uh, once again, the uh, play-by-play uh, for the Raptors 905, also uh, the host of Raptors Game Nights. Uh, you can also catch her on TSN and on TSN 1050 for that, and also home court specifically for TSN. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, honestly, uh, it, you know, it's always a it's always a pleasure to speak to you uh, because you really just have your ear to the street on a lot of things that are going on. Of course, not just in uh, the Raptors 905 and not just the Raptors organization itself, but also uh, we see a lot of stuff from your Twitter account about the uh, women's game here in Canada and also uh, the university and college games. So uh, everyone, make sure you check her out at Megan McPeak on the uh, on Twitter. And uh, I guarantee you it's, it's a great follow and a lot of great useful information there. So thank you so much. No problem, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. That was Megan McPeak of the Raptors 905 play-by-play. You can also, of course, catch her on uh, TSN. You can also catch her on TSN 1050 post, uh, post-game for the Raptors uh, right now as they are continuing their playoff run against King James. And, of course, uh, you know, hearing some news there about uh, USA Basketball as they've decided they're only going to be bringing D-League players uh, to the World Cup qualifiers in FIBA in 2019. So that really uh, gets an opportunity to... Uh, uh, give some of the uh, Raptors 905 guys uh, a chance to get a little bit more exposure out there and, of course, get a chance to represent their country. Uh, guys, as we said before, guys like Antoine Wiggins, who's actually the cousin of uh, NBA star Andrew Wiggins, uh, who's, of course, Canadian as well. Uh, Wiggins, uh, Antoine, that is, uh, he's actually uh, from the good old US of A, and he might get an opportunity to play, as is CJ Leslie. Both of those guys, a big factor coming off of the bench for the Raptors 905 this season. Uh, and with that being said, though, uh, only time will tell uh, what their careers hold in store for them. And, uh, of course, once again, really appreciate uh, Megan coming on and uh, giving us an opportunity to discuss a little bit of uh, the future of the Raptors, uh, considering how uh, bright the present seems to be for this team. It's, it's always encouraging to see uh, the development team uh, getting that level of success. And uh, just remember, all of these guys were under a Raptors contract at some point, so you never know who you might be seeing next year getting a chance to go up and uh, play with the big boys a little bit there. So uh, with that being said, I want to uh, say thank you to all of you who uh, tuned into this uh, podcast. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach at Tip of the Tower. Uh, you can also uh, talk to me personally on Twitter at RyanGreco416. Uh, and also be sure to leave some comments on the Facebook page, the subscribes and the ratings for the uh, podcast. Always appreciated both on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Uh, just be sure to check it out whenever you can. And uh, with that being said, uh, once again, it's, it's good to be back and I appreciate appreciate all of you tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.